I just like the sound. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Pure Evil MMA. I'm your host, as always, Evil Eddie, and it is Monday. It's an icy Monday here on the East Coast, but we got some heat coming through as we are joined once again by Robert TQ Turnquest. What's going on, TQ? Not a whole lot, man. What's up? How you been? I've been doing good, man. It's it's literally three degrees outside here today on the East Coast while you're down there enjoying uh, you know palm trees. Uh, I was actually going to complain about how cold it is, but when you said it's three degrees, no, nah, never mind, because it's like it's 48 or something like that over here. That's actually pretty cold for Florida. Yeah, yeah. The crazy thing, last time I went down to Florida, it was so hot, I was like in a wife beater, and there are people that are, you know, locals that thought it was just as cold and were wearing sweatshirts. It was like 70 degrees. I was like, these people are crazy down here, but I guess you just get used to it. Now, let's jump right into the meat and potato of things like we like to do, man. You got an upcoming fight, and it's going to be on UFC Fight Pass. When is this fight going down, and who are you going to be uh, fighting? Uh, this fight's going to go down... In two and a half weeks, it's going to be February 7th, which is a Thursday. Um, I'm fighting a guy named Wesley. What do you know about Because this is not your first time fighting for the promotion. No, so I actually made my debut with this promotion back when they were a little bit smaller. Um, so when uh, I first got here, first in Pensacola was with this um, and at the time, all he did was amateur shows. And then, like, as it grew and got bigger, he started to do uh, pro shows. And they were at this, like, really shitty venue. And uh, at the fairgrounds, it was terrible. Like, there was no uh, place for the fighters. There was no distinction between the fighters and the crowd. They just put, like, a curtain up. And it was like, all right, this is the fighters area to warm up and everything. But, uh, yeah, I fought for them a few times as an amateur fought for them a few times as a pro and now I'm coming back looking forward to it is this the first event that they're going to have on Fight Pass how long have they been on Fight Pass for they've been on Fight they've done a couple events on Fight Pass so they did uh, you remember Roy Jones uh, retirement yeah yeah that was there that was there same promotion alright hell yeah Uh, that was their first event on Fight Pass and then right before Christmas they were uh they were supposed to do uh, Dana White's looking for a fight. I um, saw that. And, you know, and Dana White was supposed to come, and uh, he got hurt or sick or something like that the day before. So he didn't come, but that, that event was on Fight Pass. And then they just signed a new, like, two-year deal with Fight Pass. So That's awesome, man. For you, you have a fight in the last couple of months. It was, it's really been a rocky road, and you've really led on like the whole way getting ready you know we had some things in the works i mean bellator i think last time me and you spoke like in death was about bellator they're gonna have the fight for the vets and i, I was really hoping that you were gonna get on there were you trying to get on there what what was up with that yeah so let's talk about bellator yeah. for a second my manager has been trying to get me on with bellator for a long time i when i was three and oh as a professional I emailed Rich Choi, who's like the talent relations director or whatever, and he responded back with, you know, 
we'll keep you in mind um, when the timing is right. You know, we'll get you on there. And like having a military show, the timing is perfect. And there was not one vet on that show. There was not one active duty military on that show. I mean, they had guys losing records on that show instead. I found that so, really surprising. Yeah. Like, well, why not have a guy who's actually fought? Why not have a guy who's actually been in the service over a guy who's on a, a losing record? That You know, it's really upsetting to see that. Well, actually, at the time, so I was, I, I got out uh, three years ago, but then I just got recalled back. That's a, a long story. So I, I'm active duty now. And at the time of their event, I would have been active duty to fight on it. You know, do you think they're going to do more of those events? And what do you think your chances are in getting on there? Because I was really upset to hear that you were going to be on that card. I think that the event was successful, and I think that they will yeah. do more of those events. But I think that Rich Choi is not going to put um, we at We at one point had even told him I would fly myself out there. All I had to do is have an opponent. Like, we made it as easy as possible for him, and he didn't put me on the show. So I don't think he's going to put me on. Why is it so difficult? Um... I think because of my record, I'm nine and five, and he doesn't want to put me on a main card against you know one of his studs, uh, just because I'm a bad matchup for a lot of people, stylist. Um, and I, honestly, I think that's the biggest reason. Next to, I think he's just tired of me emailing him. I've been emailing him since like 2014, and you know every time there's a show that's within driving distance or that I can fly myself to. I'm like, hey man, you know, I'm I'm ready, you know, put me on, and it's always oh, the timing, the timing. But if you don't want to put me on a military show in Hawaii, where I have three military bases that the director of all Navy athletics said they would promote the hell out of me and do a whole bunch of stuff to get you know the military support. I lived in Hawaii for half my life. I have tons of family and friends kids that I used to coach from judo. I coached at a, one of the biggest schools in Hawaii. Um, so I have, you know, a couple hundred students that would have come to support me. Like, I would have out the Blaisdell, but instead he went a different route. So if you're not, if the timing wasn't right to put me on that show, there's not going to be a show where there's better timing. I mean, I, I love Bellator. I even mentioned this backstage. One of my, uh, one of my, my close friends, fighters that I've got to grow close with in the last you know, year or two, Mikey Kimball, uh, he had a successful year. He was on the main card for Bellator because somebody that was on the main card originally fell off. Now, he got the knockout in like a couple of seconds. He gets another fight for Bellator, and they put him on the prelims. I thought that was crazy enough when you had people like Ara Hawani talking about him. You had all these people talking about him, and they stuck him on the prelims. Then he goes in there, and he does it again, gets a knockout in like 11 seconds. And uh, now he finally is on the main card. This seems like it goes on a lot over at Bellator. It's really hard to get on a card, but yet there's other fighters there that you know are on losing records, or they set fighters up where it could be an easy win for him, it seems like. And and really lately, like, they had uh, this girl I know, Janae Harding, who uh, is signed under... Uh, yeah, she is, and she took out one of Conor McGregor's teammates. And you look at it, and you're like, you, you think they're trying to promote Conor's girl there, and they set her up against Janae, who I think was had a, a losing record at the time, but she ended up beating... Uh, what was her name? Uh, son Kavanaugh. She ended up beating her. So it seems like Bellator tries to set up fights where it's like they're trying to build a name off of. 
And you made a great point saying, you know, because of my record, they want to build names up, and I'm not a good matchup for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and so a lot of the talking about the guys that they bring in, you know, Bellator is turning more and more into just a popularity contest. You know, they always talk about how they're about the rankings and stuff like that. But you look at Dylan Dennis, you look at uh, Baby Slice. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Aaron Chalmers. Yeah. Guy from Gordy Shore. Like, you have three guys that are amateurs, essentially. I mean, they're not pro level at all, and they're fighting for a major promotion. And they bring in guys that make these guys look good. Aaron Chalmers hasn't fought anybody with a winning record at all. And he's 5-0 and now. Um, his last opponent was like 0-11 or something like that. Uh, Dylan Dennis, he fought a guy with a losing record. Baby Slice, they keep bringing in guys for him. And when he loses, then they bring in somebody else with another losing record to help build him back up. Yeah, they just got in trouble. They wouldn't sanction a fighter a couple of weeks ago for Bellator. They tried bringing in somebody with, like you said, like an 0-11 record, and they would not sanction the fight because, I mean, that's that's crazy to, to book somebody on a Bellator card with an 0-11 record, and there's guys like you out there that actually deserve a shot at Bellator. If they get into a fair promotion to, you know, you, you should have a shot on a card that, for the vets, at least, that's got to be so frustrating to you. You must have felt really... Uh, just crushed deeply. I mean, that's really disrespectful, in my opinion. You've been messaging him for a long time now, clearly. I just think that's a big slap in the face, and it, it's got to bother you a lot. Yeah, it, it does bother me a lot. And, you know, I try not to let it get to me. You know, if they were to offer me a fight against, you know, pretty much anybody, I would I would take it. Um, I told you a while back, my manager put me in to fight Joe Schilling. Joe Schilling had a guy fall out, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'll fucking, I'll fight him. And instead, they went again with a guy with a losing record that ended up not answering the bell after the first round. And I'm like, come on, like you're picking guys like that over guys that have a proven track record and that I'm going to at least show up to fight. Like I'm not going to quit in the middle of it. And you're supposed to be one of the biggest and best promotions in the world, but you're putting on fighters like this and it doesn't make any sense to me. And you're, you're talking about, and I've talked about it a lot lately, too, that MMA is going into the entertainment era of things. And it's bothering a lot of fighters. It's bothering a lot of uh, diehards that have been with the sport for a long time, seeing where the sport is headed now. They just had their first event on ESPN+, and they brought somebody in that I've been against. Uh, you know, I don't think that he deserved a second shot. His name is Hardy, and he got disqualified this weekend in case nobody out there saw it. What are your thoughts on that, man? Because... That bothered me. How do you have Cowboy Cerrone on the prelims? How, how do you have Joseph Benavides not in the co-main event? How do you have Glover Teixeira not in the co-main event? But yet you have a guy who's never been inside the octagon going there. And I'm not saying that he's he, he didn't impress me in that first round. That I don't think that he has a shot, you know, to get better. I think he, he's a pretty decent fighter. But the fact that he was co-main event and the fact that they bring in guys like CM Punk with an 0-1 record against a guy who's 0-2, that, that's... It's bullshit. It really is bullshit. Let's talk about Greg Hardy. How do you feel about that? So, I, I have a couple feelings about Greg Hardy. First is that, yeah, he was, you know, convicted of domestic violence and everything like that. And I understand the whole, like, don't hold somebody's past against them. Like, he paid for it. He's trying to move on. So, great. I'm not going to hold that against him. But I think that 
putting him on the same card as Rachel Ostevich, who just had a domestic violence case, was piss poor on the UFC's part. But I think it got uh, what they wanted. They wanted the extra media attention, the extra focus on, oh, you know, look at the you know, event that's happening, and they put a domestic you know, violence victim on the same card as you know, someone that was guilty of that. So I think that got them a little bit extra media attention. And I think that's what they were going for. But I think that was that was just poor planning on their part and a terrible idea. Now, if, and, oh, no, if you're Greg Hardy, man, you would think, like, listen, this girl just went through a lot. If she's going to be on this card, let me get on a different card. You know, there's, exactly. I thought that was kind of exactly. weird, too. That was, you know, he could have he could have spoke up and he could have said something. I think the UFC got the media attention that, that they wanted. But, yeah, putting him on as a co-main event, Holy shit, Donald Cerrone, he's in the record books for everything. He's a fan favorite against, you know, one of the best up-and-comers. How is that not the co-main? You have a guy that his next fight is potentially, you know, a contender fight against Conor McGregor, and you put him on an undercard? He was on the fucking prelims? Like, get out of here. That's that's insane. I got to 100% agree. Now, he actually trains down in Florida. Have you ever seen him? Uh, he trains at American Top Team. No, when I go um, when I go down south, I go to uh, Hard Knocks with Henry Hooft and yep. those guys. Um, so yeah, I haven't I haven't seen him, but I have friends that train over there. They say that you know that he is actually trying to turn his life around, and you know he's trying to get over the domestic violence stuff. So I mean, I, I get that. Give the guy a shot, but put him on the prelims, like Jesus. How is he all the, already? He's two and zero after a couple contender fights. Oh no, three and zero. A couple contender fights, and I think he fought for LFA. And he's on the main card. Like that's that's insane. Yeah, let's see here. Dana uh, White's contender series, uh, Extreme Fight Night. He fought for as well uh, back in September after Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Now, here's the issue where everyone's kind of jumping on my back about this, where it's like, man, that's in the past. Let's let's leave that in the past. Everyone deserves a second shot. But not in this sport, man. I can't I can't praise a guy in this sport for being violent. At the end of the day, this is a violent sport. As, as pretty as we want to make it and put makeup all over it, trying to make it look like it's not as brutal as it is, this is a brutal sport. And for somebody that has a record like that, I can't. It, it's really hard for me to look past that and praise somebody for uh, for, for continuing violence. Yeah, it's to me, it's it's one of those like catch twenty twos. You tell people to not let your past define you, and you you want to help them move on. But at the same time, you're right. It, he was in trouble for you know beating a woman, which I think everybody would everybody would agree that that's you know not allowed and not acceptable. And then he's getting paid to just continue to beat people. So I, I get what you're saying, um, and it's kind of a catch twenty two. But I, I just would like to see less attention on him, just in general. I get that he's you know former NFL and he brings another. Uh, another crowd with him that the UFC might not have had before. Um, but still, you don't want to build a name off of domestic violence. Like, what's that saying about the UFC? So let me also bring this into play. You're a fighter. You, you've been uh, at a point in your career where things were pretty new to you. 
what do you think about the disqualification, the knee to the head there? Because for me, it really seemed like his opponent, Alan Crowder, got into his head in that second round. He was taunting him. He had his hands down. You know damn well that's got to bother anybody. And, uh, you know, then he lands that illegal knee. What were your thoughts on that? Did you catch that? So, to me, that looked like it was a a purposeful knee. Like, that looked like it was 100% intentional. Um, and I think when you do something that's 100% intentional, you need to be disqualified, and there should be some type of suspension at a minimum. I honestly don't think after something like that, he should be allowed to fight again. At least not in the UFC. Shout out to Dan Mergliata for, for immediately calling it and being like, listen, if, if this guy can't recover, if Alan Crowder can't recover, I'm disqualifying Hardy. I like that uh, that Dan Mergliata stepped in and uh, and said that. I like that he stepped in and said that, I, but I kind of disagree. Like I think that should have just been done. You know, you throw an illegal knee and accidentally hit someone in the groin. Okay, that's one thing. He threw a knee to the face. Like changes everything. That, that been, yeah, that, that's a complete game changer. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it should have been an immediate disqualification, not a if Allen can't continue. Well, you bring, and I, you bring okay. up you bring up a good point when it's like you know an eye poke or a kick to the groin could be accidental, but they're not game changers the way well, an eye poke is, but not as much as a knee to the head. Not many people go through that, come back into the fight and, and get the W. And if they do, we praise that person for making a comeback. It's totally unfair. You're a fighter. What would be going through your head in that situation? Because Hardy was saying, I thought his his knee was coming up. If you go back and watch it, uh, you, you, you'd you see that he was in the motion. I was watching Cowboy Cerrone, what he did, and it was trying to time things. In a situation like that, you've been in a situation like that. What's going through your head? Like, do, you, do you really think it was accidental, uh, or, or, do you, or do you believe him? If you take away his past and everything about the NFL and domestic violence, and just look at him as a regular fighter, and you look at that with a fresh pair of eyes, what would you actually think there? Do you think that he was coming up? Do you think it was intentional? What goes through a fighter's mind in that situation? No, I take all that stuff away. I still think it was intentional. I, I mean, I, I've been in that position where someone's getting up, and you can see when their their hand is off the mat. You can see when their knee is off the canvas. Like, you know when it's okay to throw it, and you know when it's not. And that was the time when it was not okay to throw it. I, I personally believe that was 100% intentional. And that's why I think he should be suspended at a minimum. But I really don't think he should be allowed to fight, you know, by any sanctioning body in the United States. Now, moving forward, it was also on the ESPN Plus card. Did, did you buy ESPN Plus? Because I was pretty excited to see what it had to offer. They did a great job. All the other fights on the card went amazing. Uh I enjoyed ESPN Plus. They brought in like a half a million new subscribers. Did you buy it? And what are, what are you hearing from people? Um, so I don't have cable, so I had to <laughs> borrow one of my friend's logins for the actual ESPN card. But yeah, I bought the ESPN Plus, and I think they did a good job broadcasting, production, um, all that was really good. Uh, what's the commentator's name uh, that was new? Stephen uh, Smith. Yeah, Stephen. <laughs> I get rid of him. He's been around for a long time. I was actually talking about him uh, on the recap show. 
Matter of fact, he called the win. He was like, DC, I'm going after what you're saying, and I want to talk to you about this. He was talking about TJ Doshaw versus Henry Zahudo. He was like, you know, you got to wonder how strong his chin is going down 10 pounds. So he kind of called it out, And but there are a lot of people that really don't like Stephen A. Smith for, for whatever reason, and uh, I got to ask you about that. What do you think the difference is, the advantage is, with, uh, you know, Henry Cejudo over TJ Dillashaw. Do you think that played a part into his chin being a little bit weaker than before? And as we move on, I'm going to ask you if you thought it was a late call. We'll start there. What, do you think that it was that big of a disadvantage for TJ moving down 10 pounds? Um, I, I don't know. Like, TJ's been dropped a lot, but he always recovers. You know, when he fought uh, Garbrandt, everybody mm. thought he was out in the first round. And... No, you know, he was, oh no, was it second round? Yeah, second round. And and he hung in there. Like, TJ gets dropped, but but then he recovers. Um, so I, I really don't know how much that weight cut had a had a, an effect on that or how much that played into it. Um, I Personally, I kind of think it was, if you know the fighter, I think that was an early stoppage. I think a lot of fighters might not have been able to recover, um, but... If you've watched any of TJ's fights, I mean, you know that's what he does. He recovers and he comes back. So I kind of think it was a little bit early. And you actually spoke about this before in the past. You, know, you, you told me a lot of the fighters backstage, when they meet with the referee, they'll tell them, listen, man, uh, if I'm in this situation, let it run a little bit longer. You have a champion versus champion fight. There's a lot on the line. TJ put a lot into this. But it kind of scares me when you see somebody's, uh, you know, switch get turned on off on and off do you think tj is going to thank him down the road no i don't i think tj is going to want a rematch and he's going to want it as soon as possible and i think if you do that rematch it's going to be a completely different story so were you rooting for tj in this fight or are you rooting for uh actually I, no i wasn't rooting for tj i was i was rooting for cejudo um I've been a fan of his, you know, since the beginning. I thought he was the best shot the first time he fought Mighty Mouse um, to to beat Mighty Mouse. I mean, that guy's on another level. Um, but yeah, I was rooting for Cejudo, uh, and but I, I still still rooting for Cejudo, and I'm I'm happy that he won. I just wish it had ended differently than it did. Do you think Dan is going to get rid of that entire division, or do you think Henry actually saved it with that win? I. I still think that division is kind of on the, the chopping block. Uh, I, I don't know why Dana has such a hard time with that division. Um, I personally think it's a promotional aspect, and I think it's the UFC not promoting that division correctly. Uh, you have the most dominant champion ever in that division, and you let him go. The guy was amazing. Like, technically, he was great. Uh, he put on amazing fights. You know, never had any issues as far as, like, him pulling out of fights and, and weight cut issues and missing weight and stuff like that. And you don't promote him at all. So when you talk about why the, the flyweight division isn't um, as popular, well, that's kind of your fault. You're a promoter. Promote. How many times did, did Mighty Mouse fight on... Uh, what is it, Fox Sports 1 or, you know, a fight night or something like that. He should have been pay-per-view a long time ago. So I think the, the division's still on the chopping block, but I also think that they're 
lack of popularity is entirely up to the UFC or due to the UFC and their poor promotion. Now, how do the flyweights that you know, how, how are they responding to this? Because for a lot of people out there, the UFC is the biggest dream. If you're a flyweight, it puts a lot of pressure on you. Like, what do I do? Do I move up to bantamweight? Am I even the size move up to bantamweight? Or am I going to have a disadvantage there? What are, what are some of the flyweights around you uh, saying about this? How do they feel about it? Because, you know, it's, it's got to be extreme crushing for a lot of people. Well, really, the only flyweight that I know is uh, Jose Shorty Torres. Hey! Um, he and I fought on a Titan together a few times. Yeah. Uh, and he's already signed with Brave FC, or Brave CF, or whatever it is, uh, out of, uh, like, Bahrain and out of the Middle East. Um, I know a lot of them are, like, just from social media and stuff like that, they're already looking at other promotions. They're looking at Bellator, they're looking at Brave, they're looking at One, um, and they're just going to plan on the UFC cutting that division, which I think, I think ultimately they're going to. I think Cejudo winning might have got it to stick around for a little bit longer, but I think within the next year that division will be gone. It's funny that you bring up Shorty because I brought him on. I brought him and I brought on Jared Brooks, both on the same day. It was like one day after the UFC cut everybody, and Shorty was actually the first person to get the cut. So I was talking to him, and he actually had such a bright mindset. I mean, you know him pretty well, and you know his attitude. He's, he's just always so happy. And he was telling me, it was like, you know, it was, it's been my dream to get to the UFC for so long. I've been chopping down trees to get there. Finally, I made it, and it wasn't what I expected it to be. Like people, they, they say sometimes meeting your heroes is the worst thing that you can do. And he thought that he would get more respect. And I think that he'll get more respect over at Brave CF or Brave FC, whatever it's called, or these other organizations. And I think that's another reason why Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson may have left. You know, one one FC is going to be signed to, uh, or they just signed to TNT here in America. So now they're going to be brought to you right here on cable. You got uh, Bellator on cable. There's all these other promotions that are doing a lot better in the last couple of years. But Shorty Torres, man. Uh, there's no way you can't love that guy. And Jared Brooks had a completely different outlook on it. He was so pissed that they got rid of everybody. But Dana White really hinted towards this. Uh, we kind of knew that this was going to happen. Now, moving forward with this interview here, I got to ask you, uh, do you think Henry Cejudo is going to go up to 135 or do you think TJ is going to want the 125-pound belt? Because in Cejudo's case, I don't want to move up to 35, but can he make 35 and look just as good? I think that I think that TJ is going to want that rematch, and he's going to want it at 125 pounds so that he can show everybody that you know he is the dominant champ that he says he is. Um, but I think that Cejudo is going to want to go up to 135 and fight TJ for his 135 belt, uh, so that he can you know, do the double champ thing. Um, moving forward, I think that if they agree to rematch 125, that prolongs life of the division, but if they can't, then I think that's going to, as soon as Cejudo moves up to that 135 belt, that's going to be it. I don't think Cejudo's a 135-er. Dallas Cowboys throwing versus Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez was such yes, a big I impact think. in 2018, and this was a huge matchup for him. But I mean, it's Cowboy, and Cowboy looked phenomenal. What did you think about that fight? I was... I was on the edge of my seat going into the fight. I was honestly really worried about Cowboy. Um, the guy's a stud, but he's also older. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. And uh, 
I knew that this would be a kind of a make or break fight for him. Um, and Hernandez is, is really good. So I knew it was going to be tough. Uh, but yeah, that was, I was, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat that entire fight. But once Cowboy, you know, found his range and he found his pace and everything like that, um, you could tell that he was very clearly in control of that fight. So, also, did you catch the new belt? What do you think of the new title belt? There's been a lot of mixed reviews about it being like the Power Rangers. People, are, uh, they're not too stoked about it. But there are some cool features to it, like the uh, gems on it, the flags on it, what everything means. Well, what do you think about this new title? I don't like it. I, I think it looks cheesy. And, and I don't know. I just, when you think about the, the UFC champ, you picture, you know, that belt that says UFC big as hell across it in gold like I I didn't like it from the first picture that I saw of it I, now the memes that I've, I've seen from it those memes are funny as hell yeah yeah um, but yeah I don't like that belt man yeah like, what is, what is, been, and when you look at some of the older fighters Cowboy's been chasing the belt for years and like he said he, now is his time to go after it he wants and to fight Conor McGregor and Connor said yes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think happens in that fight? That's going to be fun if they actually book that because you can already tell Connor's going to go in on Cowboy. Yeah. Um, man, I, I think if they book that, I think the shit talking that's going to happen yeah. in the lead up is going to be phenomenal. And that's going to just be hilarious itself. But the fight, oh man. That's just going to be a hell of a fight. I'm not even going to try to call a winner. I'm pulling for Cowboy. Um, I've been a fan of his since he was on Tap Out or whatever that show was. Um, I, you know, I, I want to see Cowboy win, but that's going to be a fight, man. And if you look at it from uh, if you look at it from the distance right now, and you look at where Conor McGregor is coming off a loss, coming off a loss to Mayweather, you know, MMA fight. But it was still a loss. And you know the way that, you know, fans are this day and age. You're only as good as your last two fights that people judge you on. And now you got Cowboy, a confident Cowboy, coming off two wins. And you got Conor McGregor coming off two losses. Uh, do, do you think this would be a smart fight for uh, for Conor McGregor? Do you think he has a shot to win this? I think I'm, I'm picking Conor to win this fight. I think this is uh, a strategic fight for him. And I think that he could win this fight. But it's going to be so competitive. And it's going to be, the fans are going to go nuts for it. I think that, so my opinion is that strategically, this is a terrible fight for Connor. It, he took so much time away from MMA, and I think it showed when he fought Khabib. I think that if he had rolled straight in from, you know, beating Eddie Alvarez to defending his title again at 155 against Khabib, I think that would have been one thing. But I think he spent so much time focusing on boxing and, you know, living the Mac life and, and getting his whiskey going and, and everything that he had going on. I think that that's played a huge part. And I think, it, to me, I think it showed when he fought Khabib. I think if he fought Khabib two years ago, he wins that fight. Yeah. But him now, I think it's a different person that it's just not the, the same Connor that was motivated, that was pumped, that was, you know, spent all his time training and working out and, and getting ready for everybody. Connor was staying really active on his on his upcoming run when he got to Aldo, when he beat Mendez, and then even the Eddie Alvarez. But now he had two years off. Now tell people that aren't fighters that are listening to the podcast right now what that really does to you. Do you believe in ring rust? I, I do not. 
do believe in ring rust. It's it's just you get so when you are an active fighter that that feeling when you walk out, you just get so used to it and it, it becomes normal and second nature. And then when you take two years off, even though you know, like you said, you had this boxing thing with Mayweather, but that's a completely different sport. So you know, he wasn't training his grappling, his stand up, his takedown defense. Like he was just focusing on you know his boxing. Um, and I, I think it showed in the the Khabib fight. But yeah, it, it does affect you. It, it affects you a lot, which is you know one of the reasons I'm so pissed. I haven't been able to get a fight since last May. So let's jump back into talking a little bit outside of the Conor McGregor cowboy thing, away from this card. Before we move on with this interview, I got to ask you about John Jones, the picogram, USADA. What did you think? What was your reaction to that? So it's clear as day in the the rules. If you test positive for anything, whether it's residual or not, you're not supposed to be licensed to fight. So they can say like, yes, it's residual. He's already been punished for it. We're not going to, you know, suspend him again. But until everything is out of his system, he's not supposed to be able to fight. And you uprooted an entire card. You moved an entire card to another state just for that one person that, in the rules, should not have been allowed to fight. That's, come on, that is bullshit. Now, as a fighter, what would you do if you were on that card, you had to uproot everything? Because a lot of the fans were telling fighters to shut up, stop complaining about it, you need John Jones. But that is so disruptive to your entire fight camp, your entire state of mind, for one guy who screwed up time and time and time again. I mean, Jesus. I got to ask you, a picogram. I mean, he's saying that's like a grain of salt chopped up into 500 million pieces. It just shows you how good USADA is. Do you think people should get in trouble for something that small in their system, or should they be banned? Because the other fighters were banned for two years for it. Look at uh, Tom Waller. He got banned for two years for it. You have uh, Mark, uh, not Mark Hunt, uh, Frank Mir. Same thing. Two-year ban. John Jones, no ban. They're going to uproot everybody. Yeah, and that's to me, that's where like the favoritism and the popularity comes in that I was talking about before where it's really just turning into a popularity contest. And if you're one of the guys that sells tickets, they're going to bend over backwards to make sure that you can fight and that they get you on a card. Um, and I, I, this is a very clear-cut case where they, they did that. And all the people that were telling the fighters, oh, shut up, you know, just fight and do your job. No, and that, there's a lot that goes into that, that last... First off, there's a lot that goes into your entire training camp. But then when it gets into fight week... Everything is so mental. Everything is so stressful. And now they're telling them, oh, by the way, all your family and friends that you bought tickets for to come out here, book them tickets to go to Las Vegas. And we're going to, you know, while you're in the middle of a weight cut, we're going to put you on a bus and we're going to bus everybody over to, to uh, not Las Vegas, sorry, to uh, California. Like, that, to me, that's, that's insane. Like, every fighter there should have complained and should have said something. Like, yes, you take it in stride and you're like all right well this is what's happening so this is how i'm going to adapt to it but you still don't have to be happy about it you know you can't the ufc is going to put on their show with you or without you mm. but you still should speak up and, and voice your opinion um otherwise people just think that it's acceptable and that they can keep doing this stuff to you people don't understand what? that aren't fighters what it feels like going through a weight cut have you ever had to get on a plane during a weight cut and what does that feel like 
I mean, you're, you're up. That feels terrible. I like, yeah, I, when I flew to to Russia, um, when I was cutting down to 155 pounds, and you know, we got there the day or two days before weigh-ins, and I had just started my weight cut. I had to travel for 18 hours, you know, in the process of a weight cut, and you're going to move these guys two days before they wrap up their weight cut. They're, you know, but they move them on Wednesday, I think it was. Everybody left like Wednesday morning. And, you know, that's really when your weight cut starts. So it, it's, I don't know. To me, it's unacceptable. And I think there should have been more fighters speaking out. And I think the people that don't fight, that haven't had to put themselves in that position, need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> because they have no clue what these guys are going through. I agree. It, it's so sad to see how fans and Big organizations sometimes treat the fighters when it's the fighters who are giving the fans what they want, giving the promotion money. It's like they don't get any respect. It's like they're just pawns. It's literally like we're in Rome still. We're in Rome and everyone's living in a freaking cage about to fight Lions. That's literally how it still is, it seems, if you're not the biggest yeah. name on the promotion. It's it's crazy we're still and in that age. To me, to me, what's crazy is the lack of respect that the fans have. Or the, I'm going to, you know, I'm air quoting fans mm. over here. Because if you're a true fan and you know half of what these fighters go through, you would not give them the hard time that you do. Just, you just wouldn't. You'd have a lot more respect and you would, you would understand or try to understand from their point of view, you know, why things are so hard for them. Which, why it was so nice to see PFL have, uh, the championship. I was just there for New Year's. I went out to New York on New Year's Eve, and we got to see Lance Palmer, a guy who has really gone on. And my co-host James McSweeney put it the put it the best way. So he's one of the guys that have gone unthanked. MMA is such an unthankful sport. And to see somebody like that win a million dollars, it's huge. What do you think about PFL? Do you think that they could be uh, pretty successful with this uh, new marketing that they got, switching things up to a uh, bracket format and and point system? So I love and hate PFL. Um, I would love to fight for PFL. I think they they're doing a great thing. I think that their format is is awesome, and I think it's something that it's you know it's refreshing, uh, and it gives. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like it gives a new outtake on or a new look at a championship series. You know, you have your playoffs, and you have the the preseason and the the regular season. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I think that the point system is, is good. I think that, you know, all the fighters can appreciate uh, the the way things go. And you know where you stand in the rankings based off your performance, mm. not based off your popularity. So I think from that aspect, it's a really good idea. And I hope that they're successful. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do this year. Let's talk about um, that. Let's talk about the rankings. That's another issue that people are, are, are still kind of baffled about because they really don't mean much. In the UFC, it's not even like they follow it. Or, you know, in, in any other sport, you follow along with the ranking system. Do you think they should keep that in the UFC? It's really just for the fans to look at and kind of get somewhat of a grip, but it really means nothing. And I really wish the UFC would follow that a little more. How do you feel about the ranking system? Uh, so I, I think that the, the ranking system... There needs to be some adjustments. Now, I, I don't have the answers, and you know, even if I did, I'm pretty sure the UFC would not listen to me. Um, but there needs to be some adjustment. Uh, 
how do you have a number nine guy, Rosie 11, ally Kenta, when he fought Khabib, how, how does that matchup sanction, and how does that make sense? How is that even a thing? In what other sport do you have a number nine team playing for the championship? And also, you have guys that are in the top ten that haven't fought in two years somehow, and they're still in the top ten. That doesn't make yeah. sense. That doesn't make sense either. So there, there needs to be some adjusting to the rankings. And I, again, I don't have any idea of you know what to do. I mean, I've got some general ideas, but until that happens, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be pissed off about the the rankings because they really are just arbitrary. Like they don't use them for anything. Kevin Gastelum is what third or fifth right now and he's getting ready to fight for his title how how does that happen like i i think it should be the number one person that's who fights for the title you fight for the title and you lose all right you're no longer the number one person you drop back a few rankings you go back to fifth and you have to work your way back up but don't let you know number three and number five number nine fight for a title that's not how that's not how rankings are supposed to work. How does that make sense? So, of course, there's there's a bunch of things in the sport that definitely need fixing. There's always things that, you know, don't make sense. But all in all, what do you think about 2018? Did you think it was a successful year for uh, the sport of MMA? I think it was a successful year. Mm. I think um, a lot of the changes, you know, them signing with ESPN, yeah. one, getting that TNT deal, PFL doing what they did. I think it was a, a successful year. I think there's a lot of new fans out there um i think in general uh 2018 was was pretty successful we were a couple black guys but for the most part you know everything everything worked out the way uh not it didn't work out but everything worked out better than it uh it has in the past so moving forward i was you got this fight going down february 7th thursday february 7th which everybody can watch on ufc fight pass and you're going to be fighting at welterweight before we ask you what people can expect in that fight how many times do you want to fight this year so last year i was only able to fight two times i had four fights fall through and that was completely fucking devastating last year was my least active year since i turned pro I want four fights this year. Now, are you going to be trying to do that all in MMA? Are you going to try to switch it up to kickboxing, go overseas, and try something else? Or are you sticking straight to MMA this year? I, I am sticking straight to MMA. Um, tentatively, I have a fight lined up. Um, uh, so I, I have my February 7th fight. I've got another fight in March against Tyler the Zombie Hill, who was on Dana White's Contender Series. Um and that's going to be towards the end of March, I think March 24th or 22nd. There's a promotion that contacted me in Poland, uh, a small promotion in Poland that contacted me to come fight for them. Um, so hopefully that, that goes through. But I'd kind of like to pick up these first two wins and then start reaching back out to some of these major promotions. Um, like I said, I'd love to fight for PFL. I think that'd be a, a great platform to fight for. Um, you know what? My manager kind of wants me to um, look at, you know, fighting for Bellator. Um, they put a sour taste in my mouth after this last year, so I'm not sure how I, how I feel about that. But, uh, you know, I think I'd pick up two wins in February and March, and I'm looking at an 11-5 and record with a two-fight win streak and 4-1 and one in my last five. And I think that gives me a, 
a leg to stand on when I reach out to some of these bigger promotions. Now, obviously, since it's going to be on UFC Fight Pass, and like you were saying at the beginning of the interview, the Dana White thing didn't work out last December. Is there any word on Dana coming back down there to film uh, looking for a fight? And if he does, are you going to you know scratch at the wall to get on that card? Um, so I was talking to Dean Tool about that the other day, and yeah, there is word about that. Um, they're trying, they wanted to do it on a certain weekend, but there's a pay-per-view that they can't, they can't miss. So they're looking at doing it a little bit later. So if that happens, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on that card. A hundred percent guaranteed I'm on that card. Ooh, uh, I, I also but, see, oh, go on. No, no, go ahead. I also see Chase Sherman versus Jeremy Mays on this card. That's going to be an exciting yeah. one. Manila Gorilla. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Chase guys. Sherman, Jeremy Mays got a lot of experience. Um, that's that'll be no offense to Jeremy May, but that'll be a good win for Chase Sherman. Andre Hall's on this card. He's been on the show before as well versus Michael Morgan. This looks like a great card. I can't wait for it. So when people tune in February seventh on UFC Fight Pass, what can they expect in your fight? In my fight, you can expect me to take it to him. I, I'm old. I'm you know I'm 36 years old. I've got a nine and five record. Um, I've got about four years left in this sport, and I have to make a decision if I am going to move a promotion. So you can expect to get to him immediately as soon as the bell. You can expect a first round finish. Ooh, calling it out right there. Well, TQ, you know what we like to do at this point in the interview. If there's anything I missed, any sponsors, any shout outs, anything at all, the floor is now all yours. Well, actually, I, I kind of wanted to go back. I want to hear what your feelings are about a uh, PFL. So I was at PFL. It was nice to see a lot of the fighters get, you know, the million dollars. But it takes so long to get to that point. There was a lot of uh, people out there that were saying, you know, the new pointing system was kind of a, a refreshing way. It, it is a little bit different. It's on a big platform like NBC. But there's so many names on there that we don't really, we're not really familiar with. I would like to see some more. Uh, bigger names jump over there over at PFL. I think they're at a, a time right now where they're going to blow up this year or they're going to really fail. And by the way that things went last year, I got to say everything went really successful. There was a lot of people that didn't even think they would make it to the end of the year. And people didn't even think that those ca uh, those checks would even cash. Every single one of those checks ended up clearing. So uh, it, it was a refreshing taste. I think there are some things that they could work out inside that system. I mean, there was guys in the finale that, uh, you know, were coming in off of a draw, like of the, what was it? The, um, not Doomsday, Jason High. Jason High got disqualified. He got another shot in there and his opponent ended up going in and making the million dollar, uh, million dollar prize. It was, it was refreshing to see that. It's a little confusing, the point system, but uh, I'm looking forward to this season. I am. What do you what do you think about them having so many Dagestani fighters and Ali Abdulaziz having such a such a hand in the matchmaking and you know picking out who's going to be in the tournament? Yeah, when I was there, Ali was ringside pr practically every single fight there, and he was getting bombarded by fans and uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem fair, right, for a lot of the fighters out there that are trying to get in that think that they deserve it. This has been talks for a while now, what you just brought up here. It's got to be frustrating from a fighter's standpoint, thinking that they deserve a spot. And yet you have Ali really playing uh, his hand at the uh, manager's table 
with uh, corporate. That's got to be really frustrating. Hopefully they do change it because you can't use the same guys going in this year. Like you can't have the same guys who just won back on uh, for the next season. I don't think that's what they're going to do. So if, if all these guys are still Ali, it's going to be really frustrating for a lot of the fighters out there. I don't think it's good for uh, good for looks. Seeing, uh, you know, it should be a fair sport, right? It should be. Everyone should have a fair shot. And it really seems like a lot of these promotions, like we've been talking about, really aren't being fair with the guys who actually deserve it. They're giving people more attention that, uh, you know, it's picking favorites a lot in the sport, unfortunately. And and that's something else that really needs to change. I can see the frustration yeah. there. Well, I'm more from a, you know, you I know you know about Ali's background. Yeah. And everything like that. And I just, I, I kind of look at PFL as they're almost turning into, you know, uh, Akhmat Fight Club or or now it's ACA, you know, because Ramzan Kadirov basically took over ACB and put his name on it. And uh, I was just kind of curious what you thought about that. Well, I actually spoke to James McSweeney about this. My co-host, you guys might know him from Ultimate Fighter Season 10 with Rampage and Rashad Evans. And he was telling me, you know, he used to train, uh, you know, w w with the big names like Rashad down there. And he was a little iffy about throwing names out. Uh, but back then, and you're talking about years ago, you're talking about, you know, almost a decade ago, people in the gym were saying, watch out for Ali. And it, a lot of media members, they don't like talking about it. I have no issue talking about it. I mean, it, it is what it is. This is uh, th this is definitely an issue in the sport, how somebody like that could be at the top and yet have a background like he does. And in case you guys don't know the story about Ali Abdelaziz, there's an article on the web. You can just Google it called Rat in a Cage. Did you read that article, Rat in a Cage? I did, yep. It takes balls to write something like that. And Ali says, this guy, he's chasing after me, but... Man, you, you can't keep that kind of stuff secret. That bothers a lot of people out there. It's not fair how he gets away with all this. And uh, there's a lot of dirty stuff going on with Ali. And people that train with him or are managed by him, they say he's a wonderful guy, this and that. But outside of that, if you just look at his past and his history, I mean, it's sketchy. It, it's really sketchy. Yeah, so there's a, a reporter, Kareem Zidane. Yeah. Um. And he's wrote about Ali a lot. And I don't know. To me, it seems like PFL is going to become what Akhmat Fight Club was, which was basically a recruiting tool for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, organizations in the Dagestan, you know, area. And I hate to turn, you know, your podcast into a political rant, but I just I feel like if PFL is not careful... They're going to get a lot of negative publicity having a guy like that, you know, at the forefront where everybody can see him. You know, like you said, he was ringside the, the entire championship fights. Like, how do you how do you justify having a guy with that past and with those current ties? How do you justify that to the media and to the fans and the, the fighters? Now, I'm pulling it up on Google for people that want to see. There's a bunch of articles with people, uh, you know, talking about Ali. If this is new to you guys, you probably heard it mostly when Connor was talking about it, even with, you know, Ali not paying child support and this like that. It just, it seems so dirty to support somebody like that. Yeah, and that, that's why I said I have a, I love and hate the PFL. Like, 
I love everything that they're doing, but I hate the ties that they have, mainly with him. And, you know, he brought in what every weight class had four Dagestani fighters. Is that possible? Like, who approved, who approved that? Yeah, it doesn't seem right. And I'm, I'm looking at some of these other articles, like uh, when he got busted at the airport saying that he was there for... Uh, he was it. He got pulled off a flight um, on nine eleven. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got a pass. He's got links to terrorist ties out of this world, and yet he's still allowed in the United States, and he's still, you know, in charge of one of the major talent companies in MMA in the United States in the world, and he uses it to pull his fighters from primarily from Dagestan, from the northern Caucasus regions of, of Russia. Yeah. And How do you have a guy like that getting okay to fly still? But yeah, people like James McSweeney uh, can't even, you know, fly a country over, fly to Australia. His his passport gets denied. And he's going to fight. He's going to work. But yeah, Ali Abdelaziz can fly wherever he wants in the world and has a serious past. I wonder what Trump would say. I know people are going to jump down my throat for that. But it, it's just not right. It's dirty. It's not right. No, and I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I just think that, like you said, if they don't bring in fresh names and if they don't do something, PFL, this is going to be their make-or-break year. Like, they, they have the potential to do something great in MMA. But if they don't, if they're not careful, it can backfire. Everything will come down crashing. Here's the issue, TQ. A lot of the media members out there, and I've been mentioning this a lot, they're afraid to speak up. People are afraid to talk about, you know, the, the facts out there because they're afraid they're not going to get credentialed or they're afraid they're going to get looked down on. But you have a guy like that. He's, he manages some of the biggest names in the sport. It's like they really put you in the corner. They really trap you in the corner. There's nothing that you can say or do that's going to change anything. It, it, that's the most frustrating part about the sport, even for all the topics that we discussed. It's like there, there's this clear issue. People aren't speaking up. Even the fighters that aren't being managed, uh, uh, getting taken care of the right way, wanting to open up unions and stuff like that. It's like, you can't do anything. It's like uh, the 1% controls everything, and it's, it's tough shit for everyone else. It's, it's messed up, and that's something that really needs to change. And the only way that's going to change is if fighters and media speak up together to discuss these problems and discuss these issues. Now that we're on ESPN, one thing I like about ESPN that they like to do is talk about the big issues like this, the drama, bring it to the forefront, make headlines about it. And maybe that's what we need to clean the sport up is ESPN opening up their mouth and, and not really caring. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think that ESPN has the, the power. Yeah. They actually do have a couple people that are you know still reporters that are going to report whether people like it or not and you know hopefully you're right hopefully they they start bringing up this stuff i think if the conor mcgregor press conference where he called ali out about everything had been on espn i think some of the espn reporters would look at it and be like oh you know what's he what's he talking about and they would dig into it and bring that stuff up so i think espn could be that could you know that could be a, a game changer as far as ali's uh involvement in mma in the united states so let us know what you guys think about this down below here in the comments. I will post up all of TQ's social media posts, uh, uh, pages and everything down here below. Make sure to tune into his fight on UFC Fight Pass in just a couple of weeks here. TQ, you know what we like to do. Uh, if you have any sponsors, shoutouts, anything at all, the floor is now all yours. Yeah, so I'm just going to, you know, my usual sponsors, Haga, 
um, fight gear out of uh, Guam, Rapid Rehydration. They help me out with all my cuts. And uh, Muso fight gear. Um, they do all my walkout shirts and everything like that. So that's that's my sponsors. You know, I'm thankful for all of them. And I appreciate everything they've done. Uh, Dean Tool and Island Fights, you know, thank you for giving me an opportunity to finally get back in the cage and, and put on a performance for all my friends and family. Um, and Eddie, it was good, you know, talking to you. Glad when you make time and when we can finally, you know, match our schedules up to <laughs> to do this. Well, yeah, of course, man. And I got to ask you before we let you go, what are your plans between now and the fight? What, what, what do you got going on with weight cutting, uh, training? What, what's the uh, schedule look like? Literally, it's, it's work and train, work and train. Uh, with the going back to military and being active duty, um, you know, that's taking up, you know, all my time during the day and then at night, um, just training. I've turned over all my kids' classes to uh, some of the other guys at the gym, and they're handling that for me for the next couple weeks. But I'm motivated and I'm focused and I'm ready to, to put on a show and I'm not letting anything distract me between now and then. All right, guys, you heard it. Thursday, February 7th, it is going down on UFC Fight Pass with a welterweight bout between Robert TQ Turnquest and Wesley Golden. Thank you so much, TQ. We'll talk to you soon and we wish you best of skill moving forward with your fight. Thanks, Eddie. I'll talk to you later. All right, guys, upcoming for our next interview. We got a couple of people joining us. We got Sofia Oliveira that's going to be calling in in about 20 minutes. Tatiana Soros uh, messaged me. Uh, she was watching a series of unfortunate events, and I told her, How good was Neil Patrick Harris there? She said, Oh my God, that he did such a perfect job. Uh, Tatiana Soros, my pick for possibly the next female to hold the belt. And we're going to see what happens in 2019. Also, Darren Mima is going to be joining me at 2.30 p.m. It is now 1.40 p.m. here on the East Coast. So let me go get ready for this next interview. It's going to be live right here. And if you're listening to this not live and listening to this on iTunes, well, it's going to be the show right above here. Subscribe down below on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter at evil-echo. That's E-V-I-L underscore E-C-C-O. And then on Instagram, at PureEvilMMA underscore. If you screw around with Facebook, we're on there too. At PureEvilMMAS, that's P-U-R-E-E-V-I-L-M-M-A, lowercase s. Guys, I'm Evil Eddie, White Knuckles to the end. Remember, without evil, there's no purity. Behave yourselves. Please.